As you're taking your seat, you can grab your Bible and open up to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29, we're going to anchor ourselves um, in just a single verse this morning. We're going to look at a lot of other verses, but we're going to draw specifically from Proverbs 29 verse 26. The poor go hungry around the world. Corrupt governments oppress and persecute their people. Another child made in the image of God is aborted in the womb. A home is burglarized and a family left terrorized. A murderer gets off scot-free. People are oppressed and maligned because of the color of their skin or their ethnic background. A child is abused by a family member or a stranger and deeply damaged for life. A child is kidnapped and sold into the sex trade. A con artist leaves a family in ruins after scamming them out of their life's savings. A drunk driver kills a young family. And on and on and on we go. A thousand wrongs that feel like they will never be made right. Why do we long for justice, and what are we to make of the perpetual injustices we see all around us and face ourselves every day as we live life in this world? What's our role as followers of Jesus Christ in bringing justice? The Bible has much to say about justice and injustice. It acknowledges the deep realities of sin in this world. And in fact, Proverbs was written so that we might receive instruction, Proverbs 1 verse 3 says, in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to have high moral standards along with a high sense of justice and fairness So this morning, I want to let Proverbs instruct us on this topic of justice and injustice. My goal is not to get into every controversial area where justice is being called for. It's simply to do what the book of Proverbs does. It comes alongside us, and it gives us wisdom and principles that allow us to be able to evaluate the things we see in front of us and live life in a way that is pleasing to God. Proverbs 29, verse 26 says this, Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. As we think about justice and injustice this morning, I want to look at it from three different angles. The first one is this, we must first evaluate the God-given sense for justice. We must seek to understand why there is this inherent longing for justice in the human heart. Where does that come from? Why does every human being on the planet have this built-in sense of justice, a knowledge of injustice? Notice that Proverbs 29, 26 says that many seek the face of a ruler, but that it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Justice, in a sense, truly only comes from the Lord. 
Why, here's the question, why is it ultimately God who gives justice? Now, before we answer that question, we need to first define justice or seek to understand it from a biblical perspective so we know exactly what we're talking about. And this is critical because we don't want to embrace a worldly definition of justice, nor do we want some kind of truncated version of justice. We need to understand God's justice. And biblical justice involves a few different things. The Hebrew word that's used here is the word mishpat, and it means to treat people equitably. It means, in a sense, equitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of race, ethnicity, or social status, or any other factor. It is to treat people with equality. Anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. The sense of justice is definitely a punitive in one sense, consequences for sin, but it's more than just punishment of wrongdoing. It also means giving people their rights. Biblically speaking, justice is about caring for people's needs. It is giving people what they are due, whether punishment, protection, or provision. And this ultimately reflects the very character of God. So how is it, to get back to that question, that we have a sense of justice and injustice that seems to be built into the fabric of humanity? Well, true justice requires a perfect standard by which every act is ultimately measured and therefore assessed. It has to be a stable standard, an objective standard. That standard, according to Scripture, is actually God Himself. You see, if left to humanity to determine what is just and unjust, we would inevitably be disappointed, we would constantly be frustrated, because humanity has a way of moving the goalposts anytime something doesn't align with their own individual thought or preference. We would have a subjective standard that is infinitely malleable, changeable, because it is either individually defined or culturally determined, but deep down inside, everyone has a God-given sense of justice, a moral compass, if you will. This moral compass or sense of justice is certainly skewed by sin, and it can only be properly calibrated by God Himself. This first point really is simply this, it's a call to simply contemplate God. We can't get into talking about justice unless we get into actually talking about the very character and nature of God. And when you think about God, there's a lot of things that should kind of pop to the forefront of your mind, but one of the dominant words that ought to pop into your mind when you think about God is the word supreme. Supremacy really captures this sense of who God is. As you look at God's character and you look at God's attributes, God is all of His attributes supremely. Each and every attribute is supreme, and for that reason alone, our God is one who deserves our worship. God is without qualification. He is without reservation, the supreme being in the universe. He is the fullness of being itself. To know the truth, everyone must first look to Him because He is the very standard of truth. He is truth in and of Himself, independent of any other. 
And the same applies to his justice. He is self-justifying. I want you to consider the words of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 14 on the screen behind me. Isaiah asks this rhetorical question. He says, whom did he consult, speaking of God, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The implied answer, no one. Nobody had to teach God these things because he doesn't learn it, he is it. He is truth, he is justice, and he is those things supremely. Now, pair this idea of the supremacy of God's attributes with this fact about God, that He is also what theologians call immutable, meaning that God does not change. And this is not an insignificant reality. This is so critical to understand. I want you to think about this for a minute with me. Consider how horrifying it would be if God's character, His just character, vacillated or changed at any given moment. A God who changes in His justice is liable to prosecution. Think about this. In our human court system, a judge who does not rule justly according to the law is considered either to be corrupt or negligent, and either one of those realities can result in that judge being placed behind bars. And if this is true of our human infallible court system, how much more so is it true of God? Should he change in his justice? His own holiness would be suspect. Should God vacillate in his justice and holiness? He would not be worthy of our trust, our adoration, and our worship. Imagine a God who one day punished the wicked and another day approved of wickedness. Imagine a God who one day called good good and evil evil, and the next day called evil good and good evil. By contrast to this kind of a vacillating God, we have an unchanging God. And Moses, he sings in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, again, on the screen behind me. Listen to what he sings about God. He says, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. What we see is that morality and therefore justice, this sense of right and wrong and the consequences thereof, they're fixed from eternity past. Never changing in His holiness, He is the very standard of justice and morality in the universe. And Solomon right here is subtly reminding us that true and ultimate justice comes only from the God of the universe. Our sense and longing for justice ultimately come from Him, and therefore we must look to Him, the one who is supremely just. But that still begs the question for us, well, what role do we play in practicing justice, in seeking justice? That leads us to our second point. Notice this, that we must epitomize the God-given search for justice. We must exemplify it in the greatest of ways, especially as those who know God's justice. And notice what it says again in, in Proverbs 26, 29, verse 26. Many seek. 
There are, there are many who are seeking justice, and they're looking all over the place to find it. They're looking in the face of a ruler. They're looking in a, a worldly or a governmental system. They're looking at it in their friends, in their neighbors, in their communities. It reminds us that we're living in a world of sin and injustice. The very nature of sin is a rejection of what is right, true, and just. Justice, to many, seems elusive in a world that fosters a love of sin and evil. We are called to be concerned about justice because God is concerned about justice. Consider Proverbs 31, verse 8 on the screen behind me. This is speaking in its context specifically to the role of the king. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. God's king, the representative for God's people, was supposed to be one who modeled and exemplified what it looked like to practice justice on behalf of those who could not attain it for themselves. And as the king modeled this, it was a model for the people of God, that they too must speak up for those who could not speak, that they too must seek justice for those who could not find it on their own. As the people of God, we are called to be taking steps to advocate for the weak and the vulnerable. You see, to practice justice and epitomize God's justice in our lives, it really is this radical, selfless way of life. It's about treating every single individual with dignity and honor because of the image of God that is stamped upon every single human being. I love what Micah 6.8 says. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Proverbs 28, verse 5, says, evil men do not understand justice. But listen, this is so key. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Our ability to understand and apply justice in our lives is directly tethered to the pursuit of God Himself. It's driven by the very heart of God. As we lean into God's heart for humanity, we find that our hearts become like God's heart. Because we know the source of justice, we are best prepared to epitomize true justice. And so this also begs the question, well, how exactly do we apply Proverbs 28, verse 5 to our lives? How do we seek the Lord? Well, in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, just listen, the first eight verses... Solomon writes, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, he goes on to talk about the value of the word of God, of being saturated with the word of God. And then he gets all the way down to verse 9, and he says this, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. You see, to seek God is to seek God through His Word. And as we do that, as we let the Word of God roll over us, as we let the Word of God simmer within us, percolating in our hearts and minds, we begin, listen, to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. 
the expression of God in the world around us that is craving justice. And when it comes to practicing justice in the Christian life, listen, the Scriptures seem to be most focused on how we as individuals treat others with fairness and equity, how we care for the poor and for the needy, how we embrace those who are hurt and oppressed. Consider Proverbs 21, verse 3, again on the screen behind me. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Listen, this is just a reminder that God is not concerned with people who are playing the Christian game. And this goes beyond just exercising justice. God is not interested in people who come to church and check the box. God is not interested in people who love to play the Christian role. God is interested in those who are living the Christian life from the inside out. Think for a moment about Jesus and the Good Samaritan. Jesus made this very point to the Pharisees when they asked Him what it meant to love their neighbor. And so He tells them the parable of the Good Samaritan. And and all of you, I'm sure, are familiar with this story. The man is, is hurt, and he's in a ditch at the side of the road, left for dead. And two religious elites walk by Him. They look at Him, and they scoff, and they mock, and they keep walking by, all pretentious in their religious garb, claiming to love God. And then here comes a man who gets down in the ditch, who scoops up the wounded man, who brings him for help, who pays his bills. This is the one who loves his neighbor. You see, justice is a loving our neighbor issue. If we see someone in need and simply pass by with superficial sympathy, we're not embodying or epitomizing the heart of God. And justice requires that in our day-to-day living, we conduct all of our relationships in family and society with fairness and generosity and equity. The Bible puts enormous stress on the charitable aspects of justice. Goodwill toward all, compassion for the underprivileged, assistance for the fatherless and the widow, love for foreigners, and care for the poor and needy people, especially when it comes to the necessities of life. In the past few months, uh, we have witnessed the call for justice and the loud shouts and claims of injustice. They have been constant, inescapable, everywhere you look everywhere you turn, it's right at the forefront. We're certainly living in a a chaotic cultural moment. I mean, we, we see the chaos culturally, we see it politically, we see it socially, we see it racially. There is incredible upheaval all around us. And I just, I'm not looking to get into all the particulars and sort all of these things out for you today, but I want to say some things about how we need to respond and how we need to practice justice in our lives. I am deeply concerned about how so many Christians are responding to this moment on all sides of the issue. It seems to me that passions and emotions have trumped discernment in truth, or, listen, that truth in facts trump gentleness and love and compassion. Many well-meaning individuals are creating incredible division and damage 
To be clear, there has been incredible injustice in the world. And by the way, some things are never going to change until Jesus returns. But there is much today that is masquerading as injustice. Not every accusation of injustice is valid, nor is every fight for justice valid. And furthermore, injustice cannot be fought with further injustice. One sin can never justify another. And so it's critical that as Christians we think deeply about this issue and how to respond. In fact, part of what makes us uniquely Christian is our willingness, or excuse me, our unwillingness to use sin in order to fight sin. And the mark of a a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, is not anger and hostility, but meekness and humility. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And yet so many of, of these fruits of the Spirit seem to be abdicated when it comes to personal issues and social issues and political issues. It's amazing how Christians can just abandon the Word of God when something becomes important to them. And the Word of God calls us back to behave in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are those who are called by our Savior to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to pray for those who persecute us. We must be those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, not fueled by the sinful flesh. And I'm deeply concerned by the division that can be so easily caused, even in the body of Christ. Listen, this is so important. The Lord Jesus Christ calls His church to unity, to preserve unity in the bond of peace. This is the call of Jesus for the church. It's amazing how divisions can so quickly creep into the body of Christ through opinions and preferences and even legitimate positions. I am deeply concerned that emotions and feelings are driving many rather than God's Word and God's Spirit. And we must be determined to fight for this unity and for charity towards one another. We must be determined to speak when we need to speak, but to speak the truth in love like we are commanded to. We must be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. So how can we avoid disunity and division in the body of Christ? And how can we foster unity in our pursuit of justice together? I want to give you guys some principles, some, some applications, just to help you think through how we can navigate this well without doing damage to the body of Christ. How do we foster unity in our pursuit of justice? It'll be on the screen. First, notice this, learn to have discussions. This this seems like a no-brainer, and yet it seems to me that so often what is happening are not considered discussions. We have plenty of arguments, plenty of shouting matches, plenty of villainizing, plenty of bullying, plenty of slapping each other around, but very little actual fruitful discussion. So let me just encourage you to learn to have discussions with people. Talk to people, don't yell. Listen to people, don't ignore them. Be compassionate and empathetic. Care about what other people think and feel, even if you disagree. That leads to the second point. Leave room for disagreement. 
We're not always going to agree on everything in the body. I don't know if you've figured this out in your life yet. We're not always going to agree on every little detail and every nuance or every major issue in life. But we need to leave room in our relationships for disagreement. This is part of civil conversation and learning. It's part of every healthy relationship. If you can't handle somebody disagreeing with you, if you instantly go to shut them down, attack their character, bully them for their position, cut them out of your life, let me just tell you this, you are actually the bigger problem in the relationship. We have to be bigger than that. We have to be more mature than that. Let me give you a third one, lean into God's Word. Again, it's amazing for me to watch how quickly people are to express their own opinions, oftentimes with such volatility, and to not lean faithfully on the Word of God. It's amazing to watch how fast people are being more influenced, listen, by media outlets and social media snippets than they are by the Word of God. If you find yourself spending way more time on debatable issues online, on social media, if that's your primary source of influence and not the Word of God, let me encourage you, it's time to shut that down in your life and return to the source of all truth. It's time to recalibrate your heart. It's time to draw near to the Lord. Let me just say, I went off on social media last week, I figured I might as well do it again this week. And I'm not like anti-social media, but here's what I would say. I, I'm, just, I'm just so frustrated with, you know, you're free to post whatever you want. I'm not going to control your conviction on this. What I would say is this. If you're looking to have discussions with people, fruitful discussions, can I just tell you that social media generally is not the place to do that? Have you, have you ever had success on, <laughs> a lot of you looking around like laughing. Have you ever had any success converting somebody to your own position? No, generally you're preaching to the choir. You can't nuance things helpfully. It's just, it's just unfruitful, so often unfruitful. So just, I just want to urge you as a Christian to think carefully before you click that post button. Think carefully about what you're reading. Be a discerning follower of Jesus Christ. And again, I'm, just, I'm not talking to any side in particular on any issue. I'm talking to everybody. This goes for Everybody. Let me give you a last one, and this is the most important one. You want to fight for unity in our pursuit of justice? Love God and others above yourself. And so much of, of this kind of divisive discussion, you want to know what's happening? People are more interested in winning the argument. People are more interested in being right. People are more interested in being honored, esteemed, valued, heard, than they are about the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Christians, that has no place in our life. The greatest commandment is to love God. The second is like it, is to love our neighbor as ourself. And we need to have at the forefront of our mind in every conversation, in every discussion, in every disagreement, my first and primary calling is to make sure I am loving God and bringing glory to His name in how I handle myself. And my second calling, and, and by, by doing this, I'm actually doing the first, is to love the person that I'm speaking with to truly care for their soul. 
See, so what is my calling when it comes to justice in life? It is simply this. It's to be a person who epitomizes God's justice in every area of your life. Don't be selective in this. Don't just simply pick your hobby horse. This is talking about the holistic nature of your life. Be what you are searching for. You long for justice. The world longs for justice. Be a source of justice in every area of your life. Here's what that looks like. Treat every single person with equity and fairness. Treat every person with charity and generosity. Strive to do what's right at all times, regardless of the cost. Strive to treat all people as if they are made in the very image of God because they are. Serve those around you who are poor and needy and helpless and oppressed. Sacrifice some of your comfort, your time, your resources to help meet the needs of those who can't do it for themselves. You say, can I protest? Sure, peacefully. Can I propagate my view? Sure, wisely and carefully with much charity and grace. Can I be passionate about certain issues of justice? Yes, absolutely. But be careful that you don't shame others who aren't as passionate as you or bind the conscience of another believer to do what you're doing the same way that you're doing it. There's so much grace needed in our world today, and the world is so busy shouting at each other on so many different fronts, that cannot be the body of Christ. Amen? We can't be that. We have to show the world what it's like to live in unity with charity and justice prevailing at the center of all we are. We cannot lose sight, finally, of this, the call to embrace the God-given solution for justice. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Ironically, those who seek justice from the world forget about the justice from the Lord often. Many look to a human solution, the face of a ruler, and they fail to embrace the divine solution, the justice from the Lord. Here's what this reminds us of. Listen, church, we are not promised perfect justice here and now. As long as sin exists, injustice will exist. But we are in Christ promised a future justice that will be delivered perfectly by the Lord. This verse is is a warning and an encouragement to all of us to make sure that the justice we seek is not primarily worldly and temporary, but heavenly and eternal. It is also a reminder that the world desperately needs true justice. And every one of us, listen, will receive true justice from the Lord. It's amazing how we can look at this verse and instantly think about the justice we believe we deserve, isn't it? One day I'm going to get justice for that wrong that was done to me. One day the Lord's going to repay that person. But we forget that we ourselves are owed justice from God. Hebrews 9, 27 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Paul says in Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each 
one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Listen, we often forget that we all deserve God's justice. We want what's fair and right when it comes to how others have wronged us, but we rarely think about what's fair and right when it comes to how we have wronged God. God, the just judge, must punish sin. And every single one of us has practiced injustice in some form. We have all done what is wrong before the Lord. We all stand guilty and condemned, deserving of God's divine justice. We all deserve God's wrath, every single one of us. And if you want justice in your life, you must first come to grips with what you actually deserve. The Bible says that you and I, because of our sin and rebellion against God, deserve wrath, we deserve punishment, we deserve death, and we deserve hell. But listen, the good news of the gospel is that thankfully, God does not simply give us what we deserve, instead He offers to us what we don't. He gives us grace. He gives to us unmerited kindness and favor. But remember, God cannot simply sweep sin under the rug because that would compromise His holiness. He would not remain just if He did not punish sin. And God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, and His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did righteousness and justice, and yet He died on behalf of the guilty. He gives His life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God. He takes what we deserve, and He gives us what we don't deserve. Let me just remind you that that's not fair. That's grace. If you're a follower of Jesus and you understand the Bible, you know this, you don't want what's fair. Jesus stands in the place of sinners as a perfect substitute. The righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. And in the greatest injustice that humanity has ever known, the only just one was put to death at the hands of sinful men. And he did it willingly out of a deep love for humanity so that all who put their faith and trust in him and his finished work on the cross could have the freedom of being justified before God of having their judgment fall upon Jesus instead of falling upon them. And God's grace now, in light of the justice that Jesus has received on our behalf, God's grace in this now compels us, the church of Jesus Christ, and empowers us by the power of the Holy Spirit to seek justice for others on a human level, yes, but let me remind you, more importantly, to call people to embrace the God-given solution for all of their injustices, to point them to the justice of the cross, warning them to flee the justice of God and the judgment that will come, and to run into the righteous arms of Jesus Christ. God extends the invitation for all to repent and believe. And may our pursuit of justice in this life point others to the source of supreme justice, 
the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, church, justice is coming. Every wrong will be made right. Psalm 37, verse 28 says, For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake His saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. You say, what should should my response be to knowing and understanding the justice of God? Listen to what Psalm 101, verse 1 says, and let your heart be refreshed. I will sing of your steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. Let's pray. Father, when we understand your justice, when we understand, God, what we truly deserve and what you have done for us through Jesus Christ, how you have punished him in our place, God, it's an overwhelming thought, and it helps to recalibrate our hearts, to pull us away from what the world screams for and how the world longs to get justice and, Lord, even accomplish justice in their own ways. And we're reminded, Father, that true justice ultimately comes from you. And it's found only by looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that as we look to Jesus, as we look to that divine justice in the cross, that that would fuel us, Lord, to live lives of justice here and now, to fight for true justice here and now, but to rest in the justice, Lord, that you have given to us. Father, we submit ourselves to you now and we want to respond like the psalmist. We want to sing of your steadfast love and justice. So God, stir our hearts now to that end, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.